Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Well, you've made a good decision joining us this week on Private Club Radio, an awesome lineup to bring you. First off, speaking with the chief executive of Carnoustie Links Trust, Carnoustie over in Scotland, is Michael Wells. And me and Michael had an incredible conversation. I had met him in Belfast, Northern Ireland at the Club Leadership Summit. And we were able to connect here once again, talk about the Open Championship happening at Carnoustie, everything that's involved with that. And Michael has a pretty cool perspective because he, for a long time, worked with the RNA over there in the UK. So we're going to learn a little bit about that time and where he's taking Carnoustie here right now, this year in 2018 and through the future. Really cool chat we'll have with Michael in just a few minutes. But first up, we've got this month's installment of Board Chats. And now it's time for Board Chats, presented by Concert Golf Partners. A behind-the-scenes look inside real boardrooms with special guest Peter Nanula. Welcome to another edition of Board Chats presented by Concert Golf Partners, where we chat with actual board members and staff of equity member-owned clubs. We're talking real-world experiences in the club boardroom, dealing with board strategy and management issues. It's a behind-the-scenes look into the boardroom. And as always, it's brought to you by Concert Golf Partner, who bring capital and operating expertise to preserve and enhance private clubs for the long term. We're joined, as always, by Peter Nanula. Peter, how are you today? Doing great, Gabe. Good talking to you. It's so good to have you guys back on as a show partner here in 2018. So just love to see what, what's new with you, because it's been a while since we've had you on the show. What's happening over with Concert Golf these days? Yeah, it has been a while. Well, in, di- in addition to... Uh Working with folks like John and Larry that you'll talk to here in a minute, we're in the middle of a couple more clubs joining the fold, and that always, uh, there's a lot of drama there and uh, a <laughs> lot of moving parts. So we're working on one in Florida and one out in the Midwest. So we're, we're keeping out of trouble. Yeah, yeah. You guys are always staying busy, staying busy for sure. Well, that's a good setup for our guests, which we're going to be joined today by John Palumbo and Larry Borowski of White Manor Country Club in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Great. Great, Gabe. Thanks. Yeah. Well, first off, I'd love for you guys to just to give us an overview of White Manor and, and really what makes your club unique and special. White Manor's been a club in our area since 1948. We moved to our current site in 1963. Um, we've uh, had a pretty stable membership all those years. It, it's a club that um, is really a family club, very diverse, uh, without pretensions, and people come here just to have uh, a good time. We have a great golf course uh, that we did a significant renovation on in 2002, 2003 with Bobby Weed, which is really the the gem of, of what White Manor is all about. What was it like working with Bobby? It was great. Um, it was a, an incredible experience to go through seeing what goes into doing a major 18-month golf course renovation. It was uh, very educational, and we, we ended up getting a, a product that I think uh, uh, was well beyond what anybody had uh, any expectation of uh, winding up with by the by the time the project was finished. 
Yeah, I've had I've heard only good things about some of his redesigns. In fact, I'm working with a club up there in New Jersey as well that's going through renovation with him and looks like he's doing an incredible job. Peter, what was it about White Manor that really got your attention? Yeah, I mean, obviously a fantastic golf course, which is known in the Philadelphia area as a super um, top-notch golf course for the better golfers. Uh, you've also got a really nice area, Larry and John won't brag, but Malvern is a really nice sort of affluent demographic sort of suburb out the main line uh, west of Philadelphia. So it's a great area. And then, you know, fixable issues for people like us. I mean, if a club has some debt that they're wrestling with and it has a list of capital projects that they want to do, but they're, you know, having the typical discussions about assessments and dues increases, those are things we can fix. But you can't, you can't make up a fantastic golf course in a great location like they have. Nice. That's awesome. John and Larry, can you tell me a little bit about the board issues that you were having before you brought Concert Golf in? Sure, Gabe. Larry and I were the uh, most recent past presidents. I followed Larry. Larry had uh, been president for eight years and really has been a, a, a tremendous legacy member. And I was the most recent uh, president. And the board, uh, we really put together a, a great board. It really, really represented the diverse membership interests. And we had been working for the previous five years on a strategic plan. Uh, the club, quite candidly, from our perspective, you know, when you take a look at like what were the real things that mattered most to our membership, it was they wanted a great member experience, but they also wanted financial viability. They wanted us to be able to stay competitive with um, capital improvements, continue to expand um, areas where the members would get more value out of the club. And what we really took a hard look at was is that we just could not attract the number of members, especially Gothi members that we needed in order to keep our dues in market. So with us being out of market, that, that really capped our growth in membership. And the board really had long-term concerns. When I say long-term, I mean really a five to 10-year concern that our dues in order to stay competitive would continue to accelerate and would continue to separate us from the market. So to us, strategically, we felt that we were in almost um, a, a, a foregone conclusion that this club would not have financial stability and viability in the long haul. And we really felt obligated to preserve the greatness of this club and the, the family values we'd built. So we ended up looking uh, into options, and that's where we met Peter, and we really felt when we went out and, and looked at other alternative models that the folks from Comfort Go Concert Golf led by Peter really gave us a solution that would meet the needs of the members, both near term as well as long term, would have provide the financial viability as well as give us the capital improvements that would improve the member experience. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a long process, but you know, I think, you know, um, all things uh, happened the way we hoped for them, and um, we're now 13, 14 months into uh, the new relationship. 
Nice. Well, how about some other things you guys were kicking around? Had you tried uh, assessing the membership or did you have any extra land that you could sell off or anything like that? Well, we had sold off the extra land many years ago, so we didn't have any extra land. We had tried everything. We had tried every type of membership campaign you, you could get. Um, obviously, we, have, we had annual capital assessments, annual um, debt assessments in order to pay down the debt from the golf course renovation. And, and that really created a little bit of the problem that we had. We never could really get that debt paid off. There just was never enough room to do it. Um, and, and, and so we really felt that we were at our wits end in terms of strategies that we could execute, um, you know, and still keep the membership at an acceptable level. Larry, thoughts? Yeah. One of the things that I guess was a miscalculation on our part is, uh, we honestly felt when we did the golf course renovation that we could grow to a larger club and we hoped that we could grow to a 450 or 500 member club. And, you know, that would have generated enough uh, operational income as well as uh, enabled us to pay off uh, the debt from the golf course and continue to do capital projects that were necessary. But the competitive marketplace that we're in in our area in Philadelphia, which is completely surrounded by a lot of high quality clubs, uh, and then the everything crashed in 2008, where everybody was struggling uh, for members. So we never reached uh, the size club that we had hoped to get to. I, I think had we done that, we would have had all the financial stability that we would have needed to have. Uh, that it wouldn't have been necessary to uh, consider other options. But I guess that was the reality of what happened in the golf marketplace and the country club marketplace in the, you know, from 2008 on. Yeah, you certainly haven't been alone, that's for sure. Now, what was it like trying to get consensus? Because I got to imagine there was probably some a little pushback from some of the members out there when you were considering bringing on a capital partner. Yeah. Uh, how did you, uh, how did you come to an agreement about moving forward? Well, we really executed a, um, a what I would say was a thoughtful uh, information, due diligence, um, process. It started out literally with myself and our treasurer just be doing, doing early due diligence just to see if there was alignment, whether there would be cultural alignment, economic alignment, possibilities, doing some uh, due diligence uh, in terms of other companies, and then going deeper with concert. And then this, you guys will get a kick out of this. And then Larry, literally growing up here, um, Kevin and I said, well, let's take this to Larry over dinner. So we bought him the best bottle of wine we could. And then, uh, and, and if we could get Larry to even think about it, that then we would take it to the rest of the board. So we, we slowly dribbled this out, first got ourselves comfortable, got Larry comfortable. Then we began to take it to the board. And much to our surprise, we wanted to float the concept to the board. And the board insisted that we do a vote which we didn't expect that to happen. The board then had a unanimous vote to proceed. And then we embarked on a real serious uh, multimedia campaign in education. Um, we divided up every board member owned a hundred percent of the members to communicate with. We had town hall meetings, um, ended up, you know, 
saving them and rebroadcasting them, you know, multiple town hall meetings. And, and there, you know, I think at the end of the day, we, um, there were some members that we were never going to get comfortable, but obviously, you know, we far, far exceeded what our bylaw requirement was, was to pass this. And I got to tell you, you know, Larry and I are still, you know, here all the time. Matter of fact, we're sitting outside our beautiful simulator. We, we've uh, literally, I, I'm, I've spent the last year and I've, I've never had so few complaints. That's so awesome. I think we're very, very satisfied with where we are. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds awesome. Now, I love that, love what you mentioned there about rolling out a communication strategy and a plan for, for the internal uh, members there at the club. And I think that's a great lesson for clubs out there, whether they're going to put money into renovations or any kind of big projects that are happening to really, really have a plan, not just, you know, haphazardly throw that stuff out there. So was there anything in particular that you guys saw that really worked or that really resonated with the membership? I think having the board members individually take ownership and one-to-one communications of every member of the club, it really showed the board was thoughtful, caring, interested, very unified. Um, And then, you, you know, doing the in-person town halls, taping them. Then we ended up doing um, remote phone town halls so that folks who couldn't make it, as you can imagine in the wintertime, especially in Philadelphia, you'll have a cohort of the members that are snowbirds and they would head down Florida. They couldn't be here in person. So again, it was multimedia. We just really had to over-communicate this. Yeah. I like the one-on-one approach. I think that's a great lesson for clubs out there. So what's it been like since concerts come on and what kind of changes are happening over there? Well, um, you know, the, the great thing is, is Peter, uh, everything that Peter represented, the, the way concert would go about the transition happened. Um, you know, the, the golf course um, is, it was better than ever. And, and, and this is only really our first year. So, you know, as you can imagine, it takes time for concerts team to come in and, and, and get to know us and for us to get to know them. Um, but the golf course was never better than it was last summer. The capital improvements are beginning to flow. The paddle courts were completed and the hut. Um, we're putting in new outdoor dining. Uh, as I said earlier, we're sitting outside our champions room where Concert Golf built a uh, a, a spectacular indoor year-round simulator for us, which is is really a spectacular event for all of us in the wintertime here in the Philadelphia area. So lots of good things. That's cool. That's really cool. What were some of the biggest misconceptions that your board or your membership had about doing this deal with Concert Golf? Well, I think that um, there were several uh consistent points that people were cons- that were skeptical about the one thing the, the the one thing we heard a lot was uh what was concert's long term agenda and people were concerned that they would uh eventually sell the property for real estate um, I think we addressed that over and over again at all the town hall meetings. People were also concerned was the club going to change the way it operated would have become more of a, 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 a public uh, golf course type of thing and uh, we reassured over and over again that it would remain the private club that we were used to. And the other thing was I think that 
with the education we had at all the town hall meetings, most of the members recognized that going in this route was probably the best uh, option for giving the club long-term financial stability and that we'd be able to, you know, see our way out of the debt and keep the club operational uh, long-term. I think people realized after they heard all of the presentations that uh, our chances of staying open as a private club for 10 years were a lot better with concert than they were with us continuing to run the club the way we were doing it. Yeah. It's gotta be nice just to go and be able to just enjoy your club and not think about all that other stuff and have those headaches keeping you up at night. Right. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> those become our headaches. Gabe. Right. <laughs> Peter <Carter>. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well guys, any parting shots or any, um, anything you'd, you'd like to share with other board members out there who might be considering going through a similar process here? I think the most important thing is for the boards to, as part of their um, fiduciary responsibility, is to think with an open mind and get ahead of this early. Understand your alternatives because, um, you know, the most important time to do this is when you're not forced to do it. Very well said. Absolutely, John. Well, thank you, gentlemen, so much for joining us here today. Just some great insights there for other board members out there around the country who have some some thinking to do and, and, and as they're weighing their options. I think this is a great option for clubs out there. Peter, any last words for us before we end this segment? Thanks for joining us from uh, snowy, snowy, chilly Philadelphia. And uh, go use your simulator, guys. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys, and congratulations on the Eagles' victory. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you gentlemen have a great Thanks, rest of your day. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thank you. Have a good night. Join us next month for another edition of Board Chats, presented by Concert Golf Partners. Great stuff right there from Peter and those gentlemen. Well, it's time to bring on our featured guest, Mr. Michael Wells, Chief Executive of Carnoustie. Here's Michael. Well, my guest today is Michael Wells of Carnoustie Golf Links. He's the chief executive over at Carnoustie. And that is the world's most challenging golf course, according to Michael. So we're going to definitely talk to him about that. Previously, he worked with the RNA as the director of championship staging for the Open Championship, which is perfect because the Open Championship will be staged at Carnoustie this year. Michael, welcome to Private Club Radio. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so... Uh, I'd love to first talk about your time at the RNA and, you know, what you learned there and, and kind of what got you to where you are today. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it started um, quite a long time ago now, uh, probably about 18 years and funnily enough, back at Carnoustie. So where I am now is really where my story started um, with golf and with the RNA and, and the Open Championship in particular. Uh, the Open 1999 here at Carnoustie, the year Paul Laurie won. I worked as a student intern for the for the RNA that that summer, and um, at the end of it, um, Sir Michael Benalik, who was actually the secretary of the uh, RNA at the time, and um, Peter Dawson, who was the, who was the incoming secretary, uh, grabbed me at the end and said, "Look, you've uh, you've done a reasonably good job here. You haven't made too big a mess of things. How do you how do you fancy?" <laughs> staying on and um you know giving this a shot long term and um as i say that was that was 18 years ago and you know i worked on lots of different golf events from amateur championships to senior opens to walker cups and of course the open which i became immersed in really um and uh, yeah i finished up as, as director of staging at uh, 
um, at the RNA for the Open Championship, and, and here I am in my new position as chief executive at Carnoustie. Yeah, so let's talk about Carnoustie then. What, what, what was appealing to you about Carnoustie, and what are some of the challenges that you've walked into when you became general manager, chief executive of Carnoustie? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I've always had a real emotional tie with this place, and it's one of these sort of rough diamonds. I mean, it's a, it's a gem that's waiting to be discovered, really. I mean, it's a, it's a world-renowned golf course, but it's probably quite understated right now. And we're going to be doing a bit of work on the whole brand and, you know, the, the positioning of us on a, on a global scale. But the, the golf course itself, it's, it's unique. It's, it's tough. I mean, this has got to be one of the, if not the most challenging golf courses in the world, we think. Um, you know, ask many of the players and they'll tell you exactly the same. We had some great golf course designers and, um, you know, the piece of ground, which it's, um, you know, built on here, you know, between the, the North Sea and the, and the Angus, um, uh, the Angus coast is, is phenomenal. Um, the layout, the design is, you know, everything seems to have met here and uh, the elements certainly play a part and we've got a, a great, a great seascape here. And our last four holes apparently were designed or at least at least tinkered with by an accountant and you know if accountants can do anything it's make something harder than it probably should be <laughs> and um, that certainly proved the test of time um, and yeah there's some some great winners here at Carnoustie over the years. <laughs> yeah probably accountants are only second to lawyers <laughs> when you talk about making it more complicated. You're exactly. Right. That's awesome. So what are some of the plans that are happening here in 2018 or and what's your vision of the future here for Carnoustie moving forward? Sure. So um, we've got the Open here in July. So I think, you know, one of the biggest focuses for us this year is making sure that we present the golf course in the best possible condition for the best players in the world to play on come July. The eyes of the world will be upon us. And, um, you know, we're looking, you know, looking forward to that. And, you know, as are the players as well, they love coming here and, and, and playing around at Carnoustie. So um, preparation is really focused on that. We're also um, about to open a brand new clubhouse here, golf centre, which is going to have some really cool stuff in it. We're having a very high-end destination restaurant, which we're very excited about. Nice. We've got seven state-of-the-art golf simulators as well. And, uh, you know, so we've put a lot of thought and um, consideration into the design of that. And now we feel that we're going to have, you know, a facility that matches the, the standard of the golf course. So we've got a five-star plus experience in the golf course. And now we're going to have something that's commensurate as well to give the golfer that, that full full immersed experience we're right beside the uh, the sea here we want the best from the from the sea and the best from the land we want to keep it simple but really top quality and and again fortunately because we're in the in the county of angus here in scotland we're you know luckily fortunate to have some of the best produce in the world from the you know from the the cattle that roamed around the hills here um you know providing some of the best beef to the to the raspberry growers and the you know the um distilleries and the breweries and so on so we're going to really focus on sustainable and local produce yeah so when you say angus that's the angus when we hear angus beef here in the united states or we order an angus that's the, egg, that's the same wow that's, that's pretty <laughs> that's cool <it>. <laughs> all right well i got to get to carnoustie because i'm a big time steak lover that sounds like a good right good time. okay well we'll get one kicked up <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I also like the idea of these um, simulators. Uh, that, and that's something that I'm, I've been recommending lots of courses kind of bring in for, mm-hmm. especially these winter months and things. Is that sort of the thought that it would be a place for, for folks to come play and, and experience the uh, course without having to brave the cold and the, the yeah. 
the breeze from the ocean there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just one of these things. You know, we we want we want people to come here all year round, and you know, like many places, come. You know, we've got a, we've got a high season in the summertime, and it's fantastic. And we, but we've got a low season as well, and you know, we 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 don't want people to to down tools. You know, for for four or five months of the year. So, you know, we just thought let's let's build something inside. You know, so when it's dark outside, it's cold. There's a bit of rain during those winter months. That is, you know, we still have somewhere that people can come and try out the golf course. You know, we've had the um, the championship course completely mapped and replicated exactly on our golf simulators. And you know, it just keeps people swinging a club. And um, again, for our our junior members and um, you know, trying to encourage kids to pick up a golf club, I think that you know we can we can do that really well by introducing them into golf. In an environment that they're, you know, they're used to. They're playing. These guys are playing video games. Why not try and replicate that? But you know, just sort of pull them on, get them a club in their hands, try it out here, and hopefully then that will just help the progression onto the courses um, and play it for real. Yeah, you know, that's that's something I've really never even thought of. But it's such a great use of of the simulator is to really get people kind of started with the game because it's so nerve wracking to hit the first tee if you're a newbie. Yeah, but, uh, that that, that oh. really alleviates some of that. And we want to make it fun. You know, it's got you know, kids want to do stuff. It's fun, and, and golf is great. But there is a there's a perception around it, and there's there's a feeling it might be difficult to get started. And, and we we really want to break down those barriers here. You know, we've got lots of lots of guys. We've got lots of pros who want to encourage people to come in, and they don't have to play the championship golf. They can come in and play, you know, urban golf, zombie golf, whatever it is, and uh, they can they can bash around as long as they're they're hitting a ball with a club. You know, we feel that that can really ignite their their passion in the game. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, you know, coming into a place with such a storied history as Carnoustie, there's got to be, you know, you got to have a, a sense of that you're really, you know, holding up the, the brand on your shoulders in a way. So what sort of things are you yeah. doing to really promote the Carnoustie brand and get really in, reintroduced to the world? Because this has been a little bit of a hidden gem, Carnoustie, um, you know, it's such an exciting time for us to work with. And like, golf has been played here for centuries. You know, we, we, we've traced it right back to the 1500s in terms of, you know, when the form of golf was played here, there's been all sorts happening through the, you know, through the ages. And um, we've got a great story and a great lineage here. I mean, I didn't know it myself until recently, but the, the town of Carnoustie and the PGA of America have a, a, a relationship which goes way back. And some of the, you know, the founding fathers of the PGA of America actually um, came from Carnoustie. And, you know, we have got some great stories here and, um, you know, Stuart Maiden, who was Bobby Jones's coach, who got the Carnoustie swing, which Bobby Jones attributed, you know, his success to. So Carnoustie has had a, a bit of a tradition at being first at doing things, at taking things overseas, at taking that, um, you know, taking the learnings of the, you know, of the Scottish Lynx golf around the world. And it's, it's been an amazing um, story that's created. And we're going to really try and bring that to the front in terms of our brand, who we are what we're about and, and why people should really come and, uh, you know, look us up when we've got a lot to offer and, uh, it's tough, but it's great fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Now let's talk about another Scottish links. You actually live in the town of St. Andrews, if I remember correctly. That's so, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what are your, what are your thoughts on St. Andrews versus Carnoustie? I mean, I know you're not at, at war <laughs> with each other in any way, but <laughs> of the two. Oh, no, no. We're best of friends. We're best of friends. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of the two types yeah, of layouts yeah, I mean, and things, what, what do you think of them? 
I mean, you know, St. Andrews, and we're so close as well, you know, so I, I can drive to St. Andrews in, in half an hour. So, you know, we're we're close to each other geographically, but, uh, you know, we're also close to each other in, in terms of our collaboration. And we're, we're quite different. I mean, St. Andrews has nostalgia, you know, and it's a great place. When you're, you know, teeing up at the first, it's, it's pretty daunting. And, you know, and you're coming back up the 17th, 18th, playing that, you know, walking over the Spoken Bridge, you've got the Arnie Clubhouse in the background. There's nothing like it. And the town of St. Andrews is fantastic. And I think that, you know, Carnoustie can complement St. Andrews really well. And, if, you know, if you're coming over here, you really do have to try and bag the two courses. So we would probably say that our golf course is, is uh, <laughs> a little bit sort of more technically uh, endearing, if maybe you've put it that way. Mm -hmm. Very <laughs> um, politically correct. But, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, trying to be as diplomatic as possible. You know, St. Andrews has the, you know, the allure around it and it's, yeah. you know, but I think we have the golf course, if, if I'm being completely honest. And, uh, sure. you know, in terms of its, if it's set up, its technical aspects to it, um, you know, the, the, the greens we rate, you know, top of the tree, every single league table there's going in terms of the agronomy of the golf course. So I think, you know, this, this has the golf course. Um, but yes, St. Andrews has that, you know, it's got the prestige, it's got the nostalgia, it's got the you know, it's got everything, and it's fantastic. Everybody must must do it, but uh, I think, yeah, everybody has to come and play Carnoustie as well. It's, it's, yeah. it's every bit as equal. Well, I love the history that you're giving about Carnoustie, and I think that's going to motivate some people to probably take uh – Put that on their next uh, bucket list trip for sure. Uh, let's yeah, talk yeah. before we, we wrap things up about the RNA again, kind of coming in and what that's like to have you know the world's eyes on a property as a, as a you know chief executive. The types of things that you've got to you know have all your ducks in a row and whatnot. What, what for other managers out there that you know you know maybe haven't had experience with you know a major championship coming to town? What's it like? Yeah, I mean, there's so many aspects to think about um, out with the actual golf course itself. And, um, you know, we, we're really fortunate here that our, our link superintendent, uh, Sandy, and our, our championship course, Greenkeeper Craig, I mean, they've, they've got the golf course sorted. I mean, they are, they are the guys, and I, they don't want to let me anywhere near it. <laughs> so as long as they keep doing what they're doing, you know, we'll be absolutely fine. But there is so many other things to consider, and we have – you know, um, monthly meetings with the RNA. We're talking about, you know, accommodation, transport. We're talking about fiber optic networks, which have to be installed around the venue, television compounds, um, contingency planning with the the fire departments and the police departments, making sure that we've got everything absolutely set. Um, the player facilities. You know, these uh, these players now they they demand and quite rightly. Um, you know, very specific in terms of the, the the food and beverage. We have to think about, you know, serving a, the the right kind of stuff to guys from all over the world, whether it's Asian cuisine, whether it's you know uh, British cuisine, or or we've got an American slant on. So we have to be able to adapt wow. and uh, make sure these guys have everything that they need. Yeah, there's so many details I can't even imagine. <laughs> it's got to yeah, there's, you, there's a lot to think about. Gotta yeah. keep you up at night a little bit, I would think. Um, but what, what in terms of you know you've made a pretty bold claim here the world's most challenging course. <laughs> mm. So what would you like to see as a score personally? I mean uh, I'm sure the RNA has as a, a target score that they're going for. But you personally, <laughs> you know, in terms of getting produced on the world stage, what would you like to see happen at the Open? Wow, that's uh, that's a good question. I mean we recently had a course record here, 
um, during the Dunhill Links Championship last year um, when Tommy Fleetwood shot a 63. Wow. Now, you know, not taking anything away, um, I think the setup will be somewhat different during the Open in terms of the pin positions and the, the tees and so on and so forth. You know, I think, uh, you know, Tommy had some uh, a pretty good day for it in terms of the elements. Um, yep. So that was a that was a phenomenal score. I think if you're getting anywhere near that, then you're doing very, very well, um, particularly in a, in, a, in a stage, you know, on a global stage like the Open um, with hundreds of millions of um, eyeballs watching you on, on the television. I think uh, if you're if you're getting sub sub 70, you're doing pretty well. Wow. That means if I come over there, I'll probably be be good just to keep it under ninety. <laughs> yeah, if you and I break a hundred, we've we've got a certificate wait, waiting for us in the pro shop. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. That's awesome. But well, it's Michael, great I, fun. That's a good thing. And we've also, I was going to say, we've also got two other courses here. We've got the Burnside and the Buzzin, and uh, they're equally as good uh, golf courses. So we've got we've got plenty of plenty of holes to choose from. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Last question for you, Michael, in terms of your you know, vision for the future here, in terms of golf, golf as a whole, uh, what, what do you see, you know, looking in your crystal ball, what do you, what do you think is happening here with the game and where do you see it going? You know, it's, it's a subject that's talked about so often and, you know, we get a lot here about, you know, memberships declining and so on. I think, I think my take on it is that people, people consume golf in a different way now. Um, you get a lot more nomadic golfers. So I don't necessarily believe that there's a huge decline. I think there are people who are just playing it in a different way. And, you know, perhaps rather than being members of one or multiple clubs, people are playing with, with friends, playing, paying guest fees at, at uh, clubs. And, um, you know, time, time is precious nowadays. And, and uh, family life is different. I think that we have to focus on the short form of the game a little bit more, you know, Mm-hmm. Whether it's nine-hole golf, six-hole golf, um, you know, ready golf, which is a form that we are adopting here in some of our competitions. Yep. Let's keep it, make it, keep it, and make it accessible. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's, you know, the days that you and I can go and play all day long on a Saturday and come back, you know, after you know six or eight hours at the golf club, I think are, are probably dwindling. Yeah, so we wife, need to that. My wife wouldn't yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> no, and, and neither would mine. <laughs> Nor my kids. I always want to spend some time with my kids too on on the weekend. It's tough. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I know you're a, a recent dad as well, aren't you? Yeah, goodness, I've lost count now. You know, we've got I think three under five. So um, you know, they're swarming around when I get home. And uh, but you know, this is why we need to be you know we need to be welcoming to families, and you know, we need to be. Have, we need to have facilities for for kids and, right. and make it fun and cater for them, and because uh, they're the future, you know, they're the future of the game. And um, if we don't adapt for that, then um, you know, it's only going to go in one direction. Yep, absolutely. Well said, well said, Michael. Thank you so much for joining me today on uh, on today's episode. If folks want to reach out to you, Michael, and maybe you know, get a little more uh, detail about you or Carnoustie, how do they go about mm-hmm. doing that? Sure, well, you can check us out on, on Facebook or Twitter, um, Carnoustie Golf Links, um, on our, our website, which is carnoustiegolflinks.co.uk. Have a look, see what we're doing. Um, come come uh, spring, early summer, we hope to have a new look and feel to our, our website. So, uh, yeah, just uh, stay tuned for that. 
Fantastic. Michael, thanks so much for joining me. Wonderful guest and hope we can do it again sometime. I hope to see you out there, actually. I'd love to try to tackle uh, Carnoustie with you sometime. Yeah, we'd love to have you across. And yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been, it's been good fun. Cheers. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode just as much as I did. Some valuable insights there throughout the episode. All those gentlemen had such great insights for us. A bunch of club change makers. And speaking of club change maker, we've got the hashtag club change maker gear available for you to show the world that you are in fact a club change maker. Head over to Private Club Radio and check that out. Get some for yourself and for some of your staff. They will love you for it. And I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the week. I'll catch you back here next week on Private Club Radio. Until then, here's to your membership success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Concert Golf Partners, helping to preserve and enhance private golf and country clubs. Concert Golf has the capital, expertise, and private club hospitality experience to help upscale private clubs achieving long-term success and membership growth. For 25 years, Concert Golf has allowed private club members to focus on simply enjoying their club. Visit ConcertGolfPartners.com to learn more about the recapitalization process.